Hello, this is Ray Brooks. Hey, this is Big Lou. That's double L-O-U. Hi, I'm Veronica Jackson. Hey, everybody, this is Adam Gusso. I'm Dietrich Carr. Hey there, folks, this is Donald Trump of the American Songster slapping the dap with Jack Dapper. Hi, this is Guy Davis. Hi, I'm Shamika Copeland. Hey, I'm Ben Turner of Piedmont Blues. I'm here with Valerie Turner. And we are bluesing with Lamont Jack Burley. Hi, I'm Larry Griffin, and I keep it locked and loaded on Jack Dapper Blues. Yes, yes, yes. Reverend Dr. Derek McQueen, theologian, New Testament historian, Negro spiritual singer, community activist, and Presbyterian minister, joins me today on Jack Dapper Blues podcast to discuss the history of the black spiritual, better known as the Negro spiritual. It could be also referred to as the African American tribal spiritual. Would you please... Uh, give us a history of the black spirituals, Negro spirituals, as far as you can recall. As far as I can recall, um, black Negro spirituals were were um, very reminiscent of the rhythms that were needed and the rhythms that were celebrated in the motherland of Africa. And that those those rhythms and the, the music that came out of those rhythms sort of actually helped people to sort of Take their not take their mind off of their oppression, but to also figure out a way to get keep them connected to their um, to their cultural sensibilities of music and the and the creativity and the power of music. But it also was an ability to sort of celebrate um, in an accepted way, um, especially in the fields. Uh, definitely ways in which people were thinking about what it meant to fly away home and what it meant how music would be able to sort of sort of go back to the motherland in their stead. Um, Paul Robeson always talks about um, when he sort of did this one play that took place in Africa, that there was a, during the monologue that he has in that particular play, that there's always a drum solo underneath because he felt that the, the drums are the voices of the people and that that's how people, many people communicated was through drums and through those rhythms and through that voice. And the spiritual sort of kept up that notion of being able to communicate in a special way even amongst the people, while, while, even while people were sort of looking down at your throat, sort of telling you not to be happy, not to, uh, not to show any joy, but just to work hard. And then they also sort of transformed into being able to um, find a way to, to give those literal messages. And those literal messages started to be um, very and, um, sort of revolutionary in terms of how do we get out of this mess and we're going to leave slavery or we're going to sort of speak in a code about what it is that we're going to do. Everyone loves that song, Let Us Break Bread Together. And in the Christian tradition, they tie it very much to, um, they tie it very much to the communion um, in the Eucharist. But it actually is, is a spiritual song that very much talks about um, when I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, it's saying we're going to be leaving here at sunrise. <laughs> so, Lord, have mercy on us as we go. Um, and going with your face to the rising sun, of course, the sun rises in the east. So that's the direction in which you'd be heading. So they would sing that song the night before to let everyone know and give, give in a code of a song exactly what the instructions would be to do for escape in the morning. So there became a, it became very conversational. It became a sort of being in touch with the lament of um, losing family. The, for example, the song, Oh Lord, how come me here? I wish I'd never been born. But exposing that lament is actually a way to sort of process that feeling and process that hurt and that anger. Um, and then ultimately sort of 
fueling you to sort of say, is this something that I really want to try and do to escape and get away from this? But if nothing else, there was a way of the spirituals enable you to uh, tend to your tend to your soul um, when you're around people that don't want your soul to be tended to. Mm. Very, very serious. Now, there's a couple of questions I want to ask, but I have to ask you this one first, because you gave two um, um, definitions of the Negro spirituals, pretty much. I'll just say I'll, I'll break it into two compartments, because there's two versions of slavery, the initial slavery and then the internal slavery that happened um, during and immediately after the Revolutionary War. Would you be able to explain how those two American events kind of changed the the dynamic or conversation of Negro spirituals? Well, it it became um, it's a sort of a, a as the generations of slavery sort of ended up just being here and there was no way out. Um, it became less about people were actually not being in touch with so much of the Africana. Um, spiritualities and the Africana notions of what happened in the tribal way of sort of calling upon those rhythms, but they did sort of still speak. And it wasn't so much about um, home as it was about making it through. And that's sort of where we come at with the revolutionary, after the revolutionary war during that time period, it became a matter of, well, what are we going to do to survive this? Are we going to survive this or are we going to leave this? What do we need to do in order to sustain ourselves while we're here? Because it looks like we're here. And as a New Testament scholar, I can say for me, it's very reminiscent of knowing that when, for example, when Paul, the apostle Paul and all the other disciples were sort of talking about creating this movement to follow Christ, they were assuming that he was coming back real soon. <laughs> and then they, so then they sort of had to figure out in some of the, uh, the later letters in the New Testament, what are we going to do? Because he's not back yet. <laughs> so what do we need to do to build our community and to make ourselves um, safe in this oppressive environment? Because Jesus isn't back yet and we still have to be here. That's sort of what I liken it to. The second thing about your first statement I wanted to address, the celebratory uh, factor in, in the black spirituals, and the Negro spirituals. And, and could you address that in regards to Frederick Douglass and his statement of how he, he it was just really, um, it was a horrible experience to hear, hear black spirituals for him at that time and how he couldn't understand why the people were singing to a degree. That's not his exact words. I'm paraphrasing horribly, right. but I believe you understand what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, many and many people do sort of have a feeling that uh, singing is spirituals, especially when you're in oppression, and and people who don't want to revisit that history feel as if it glorifies that that horrible time for people. But the 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 notion, the fact that, for example, that spirituals um, made it to East Berlin when the wall went up and that people from East Berlin, when I sing spirituals and there are Europeans that were part of communist Berlin and communist Russia, that they say that they sing those songs to help them get through it. That's the notion that we're feeling about that. Um, it's not so much celebratory as it is, um, as it is cathartic. It's a cathartic way of sort of understanding and releasing sort of the pain of where you are. And that may not bring you joy, but it brings you release. I'm not relief, I-E-F, but release, E-A-S-E. And that release of that pent-up emotion and that pent-up pain um, 
is one of the healthiest things that you can do. And the spirituals allow you to do that. And once again, if I go back to the Psalms, it's very much like the lament where the psalmist yells and screams at God. But at the very end of the Psalm, they said, but I know that someday that you are with me and that you take care of this, that you will be able to take care of this because you have the power to do that. So when you release that tension and you release that pain, all of a sudden you create a space for the hope that's trying to be snuffed out of you to actually grow. Absolutely. You mentioned the Africanism in, in Negro spirituals, but we have people like uh, Richard Wallisat who says, it's pretty, he pretty much says it's a knockoff of European uh, 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 religious music. Could you address that, please? I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that at all because I, I, the notions of the, the notions of the group singing and the call and the response is is very much in keeping with what happens in tribal communities in Africa. And it it was those modes of being in communication, even when people didn't speak the same African tongue on the on the bellies of the ship that helped them to actually be able to communicate. It's that rhythm um, and that feeling of um, the music, the music and being of one voice um, is not really the knockoff of, of any kind of a, a, a European notion because the European notion does is not fraught with the pain that that it was um, it took to create the spirituals at all. Um, there's a, a, a totally different genus of the of European even music the the romantic period of, of European music even though it's lush and it's beautiful and it came out of a lot of pain had could in no way compares to the genus and the and the genesis of spirituals. And where it comes from, it comes from a totally different place that at that point in time, European, I don't believe European Americans or Europeans were able to access that because they weren't on that other side of the suffering. You can't knock something off if you can't. The the knockoff would be when people are imitating, um, trying to imitate the cathartic notion that comes forth out of doing the spirituals. It doesn't come from people who are... Go, creating that music and creating those stories in the song to deal with having their own cathartic reaction to that. And so I disagree with that. And much of the rhythm um, and many of the rhythms and the repetition um, and the, the saying things over and over and over again and the humming above and the humming around and creating that music, that's, that's culture and that's community. And that's that's not European. That's com- that's one of the the more beautiful things about the African notion, uh, African notion of the spirituals, is that when we sing spirituals today, we're so used to just singing the, you know, we'll sing the verse and we'll sing the chorus and we'll sing the second verse or however many verses there are, and then we'll end it. And we forget that there are times and there are still communities in 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 the South and different religious traditions that when they sing these songs, they sing them for 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> And that creates this this sense of 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 um, you, you're sort of lifted up and lifted out of your own experience in a way. It's a it's a very um, almost a cosmological way of stepping outside of yourself. And that happens when you sing these songs for twenty and thirty minutes or even an hour. And you don't do that in European music. European music, the format is you do this, you you go into these spaces, you sort of go into a couple of variations, and then you close it out. The spiritual is all about 
keeping it going and, and your emotion is ends up being what we end up calling improvisation and and the singing the line over or singing the line under and sort of the outbursts that come to accentuate different parts of how that music is touching you that is not european that is that that is not a knockoff of europeanism that is definitely an african african american way of understanding that we are definitely um being in this community together when we ostensibly are looked at as not even human enough to have a community. Now, I, I want to stay on the Africanism for a moment and ask another question. But yet, set up your next statement. I would like you to um, pull an example of African or, or some believe Hebrew tribes in comparison to the black spirituals. Leroy Jones in, in Blues People when he speaks of how um, the Africanism of, of, of music, it was spiritual, right? So everything had to do with praise, right? Singing and, and how that traveled over here into the fields. The, the, the notion that music does something and moves people on the inside and because we're talking about it in terms of a, an Africana notion, I'm not even going to use the European overlay of the word spiritual. Um, there's something about um, being in touch with the cosmos and being in touch with the universe that gives you a connection with that. And it gives you a connection with the ancestors. It gives you a connection with, with all of the, the different levels within the tribe of the rites of passage that people go through from birth to marriage, to adulthood, to becoming an elder, to, to um, honoring the ancestors. There's a connection that music um, sort of goes through all of those spheres. So you're entering into that space. Even when you do that, when I when I get into that that zone of singing a spiritual, I know that I am also singing that spiritual in the name of my aunt Dot, who's up above right now and who is in the ethos, guiding me forward and and letting and showing me the different ways if I open myself up to her her guidance and my memory of her, and I know that 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 the spiritual allows me to be in touch with that aspect of her and that aspect of how she sort of guided me and led me. It's almost like a doorway to another dimension in a way. And that's how I sort of look at it. And that, that notion of doing that repetition. And whenever you see any kind of a tribal dance around a fire, you notice that there is that, that notion of being outside of the body. And that's, that's what that whole experience is, is meant to be and what it's for. So we hold on to that, wanting to be outside of the body and to, and to not be trapped by this body, but to be into these spiritual notions of ourselves and these divine notions of ourselves. And that, I think, is the, is the through line from the African spiritual and the through line to the spirit from the African notion of, of music and connection to the through line of the spirituals in the field, to the through line of the spirituals, actually knowing that you're singing the same song in the fields that someone who's escaped slavery still keeps your connection vital and alive. And no one can take that from you. No, absolutely not. I, I refer to our musics or, or, or societal response to expression as African-American tribal music. Um, I, let's talk about 
why it's important to understand the tribal aspect. I was just talking about this the other day that that the rhythm, and if you um, there's a there's a book called um, Facing Mount Kenya by Jomo Kenyatta, um, and he was uh, an, the son of an African medicine man, and he was of the Kikuyu tribe, and he was schooled in London, and he wrote this book, which actually details and sort of legitimizes in the in the Western format the power of what the tribe is all about. It talks about it in terms of like how the generations interact with one another, how the young people hear the history of the community because the grandparents are out in front of the of of the of the household of the compound doing the gardening with the children. And so they're telling the children all of the stories of the family and all of the stories of their history and all of the stories of their tribe in itself. So there's this there's this notion that um when you can't tell your story, how do you stay in communication with one another? How do you keep the generations understanding that we have this vital and rich personhood that is trying to be taken away from us? And the, that notion of um, that notion of tribal solidarity, um, it even trans it even transferred itself to. Um, to all the people who were taken from all the disparate places of Africa and placed in the belly of a ship, even under there, the tribal notion is what brought people together. If there were people who were going to jump off of the ship the next day when they got exercise or when they were given water or told to dance on the decks of the ship, if people decided that they were going to jump over, they did it as a, as a group effort and talked about it underneath the belly of the ship. They figured out a way to communicate because they knew that they were that they were one people, and that is a is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. That as we move forward in our world, that that's what the spirituals can also have us kind of do. I'll, I'll tell you this this little anecdote. I worked with I worked with Columbia University on a project here at a at a center, and the first time that we gathered and we gathered all of these different academics and we gathered some ministers and we gathered some um, some activists and some people who were Buddhist and this and that. They were all African-American. And one day when we decided that we wanted to center ourselves, somebody started singing a spiritual. And all of these people from all of these different backgrounds even the people who didn't go to church, everybody sang in that sang that song. They joined in. The harmonies were there, and it and it stopped the it stopped the meeting in a way because everybody realized that there was this connection between us all, and it was a powerful, powerful bond that was that was built just by singing that song. And eight years later, <laughs> that bond is still there with all of us. Would you say that? The, the Negro spirituals are America's true folk song. Um, and if you do or don't, please give an example. I, what's, what's, troubling, what's troubling with me and, and sort of making me think about this question in a new way is I don't know if it's American folk music. Um, because if it's American, I think it's still, I still have to call it an African music tradition um, because I don't want it to be lost. That, um, because we've, if, when we say it's an American, it's the true 
um, American folk music, um, then it sort of it sort of puts it on the back burner for the purpose that it really that it really had. And other people will debate what what the folk music is. I mean, for example, the Civil War soldiers when they were marching, they sang the the if you remember the commercial and, and back in the day, I'm not going to tell you the decade because it'll tell my age, but if I do this, it will anyway. <laughs> there was a song called, um, uh, 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 remember how they had goobers and raisinets, the chocolate covered peas? Mm-hmm. Goodness, how delicious, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this, that particular song was a marching song for the Civil War soldiers in the South talking about peanuts. And the song, the lyrics were peas, 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 eating goober peas. Goodness, how delicious! Eating goober peas, and that was one of their their folk songs, marching songs that kept them and kept their mind on the marching in, during the roughest times um, when they were traveling all those different miles. So there's always been sort of this folk music, and I just think that it, that the African American and the Negro spiritual is a little bit. Um, I think it's okay. Let me put it this way the truest form of original folk music. And what, but what I mean by that is that much of, the, much of the other American folk music is based on European models that, that, that come from Europe and even the phrasing of it in the musical ways that things are sort of put together. The African-American spiritual is unique because it, it, it took a tradition and it made something completely new out of it for a new context for a people that were far away from home. So I would say it's the most original American folk music rather than the true American folk music. What do you think is the biggest misconception or, or better yet, most misunderstood aspect of Negro spirituals? I think that the most misunderstood aspect of Negro spirituals is that um, people believe that um, it is a romanticization of victim of being a victim, rather than an empowering um, self self declaration of of identity of a people who are explaining um, their situation and putting voice to it and articulating it in a way that people don't want them to. They don't see how, um, how, how much of a protest a spiritual can actually be. If you're saying, if you're really, really, really saying, Lord, how come me here? I wish I'd never been born. They stole my chilling away. They stole my chilling away. I wish I'd never been born. If you're saying that and you're singing that and putting words to that, that's not something that the master wants you talking about. <laughs> So if the master don't want you talking about it and you're out there singing about it because it's an experience that you need to talk about, that you need to get off of your chest, that's a revolutionary act of speaking truth to power. That, and I don't think people get that. So, so it, it's safe to say that the, the, the Negro spirituals could be considered the very first act of revolution. And in the same sentence, it could be why it was the soundtrack to the entire civil rights movement from the early 50s on. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a protest to say, steal away, steal away home, I ain't got long to tarry, and know that the message is, is that we're leaving. And you're singing it right underneath the nose of, the nose of your oppressor. 
which is why they didn't want us to gather. But we figured out ways to make that happen anyway, now didn't we? In that, could you uh, touch on the Bush meetings? The Hush Arbors? Yes. Yeah, the Hush Arbor meetings, um, I love the notion of the Hush Arbor. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a hollowed out space in the middle of the woods with very tall trees, but the sound is contained in that. So in that arbor and in that hollow, the sound is sort of contained with the people that are in there, and it sort of is, is um, damped out by the, by the canopy of the trees. So that's a wonderful place to be, to know where you can go and you can be a group of people and you can sing and do what you need to do in terms of um, your worship or communication. And we have to always remember that worship and, and, and protest go hand in hand because um, the slave masters really truly understood that by saying, by telling people that they could not gather, that they could not gather, um, they realized how powerful it was to, to go into a group meeting together, even for worship. And those hush arbors were a great opportunity to sort of actually physically be in that cathartic space. Um, and even with, even with the dancing that went with the music, this is why I always say um, that you cannot deny the, the tribal notion of all of this because the dancing that, that happened in there, you know, they weren't, it was improper for them to, to sort of lift up their feet and to kick, kick up the dust. Um, so they didn't, they didn't lift up their feet. And that's, that's where you get the, the, um, the ring shout. The ring shout is, is very much about not lifting your feet up off the ground, not causing a dust storm, but still being able to be in a, in a, in a dance motion and to get that out of your body because the rhythm of the, the rhythm of, of, of the steps when you're, when you're doing that and you're going around and around and you're, and you're, and you're sort of singing these songs, it's actually, um, it's a very cathartic way of sort of having it all in your body. And you could do that in the Hush Arbor and the Hush Arbor being a place where you could gather for respite and sort of see the, see the wonder of the divine around you, which was completely um, antithetical to um, just being around the fire, around the slave cabins. As a protest song, as, as sorrow songs, as Negro spirituals, uh, uh, with every piece of Africanism in it, as well as uh, uh, coded messages, were our ancestors singing to the Most High God, or were they, were they just having an... Uh, out-of-body experience in the earthly place? I think that it depends on the person um, because there were some people that weren't convinced. And, you know, and when you mentioned Frederick Douglass, he said, you know, um, the, the American Christianity is not the Christianity that I practice. <laughs> because we, we have a tendency, and this is, this is so true, um, we've always interpreted um, this Christian, this Christian notion, um, according to our own context, we've always done that. We've always translated biblical scriptures and translated the Bible that made sense to us, especially when you're not able to read and you hear this and you're told this, you talk about it and you've come up with your own understanding of it. Um, so I believe that when we're talking about this is that, um, there were people that were, doing this as a as a plea to God to pull them out and to help them move 
and and to to come and save us um, and come to sort of make a change and make a change happen um, in a permanent way. And there were others that were using that were probably that I believe that were using it to come together as a community and get that feeling of what it meant to be what it meant to be together and to get that that notion of that cathartic um, the way you mentioned out of body experience. Um, and I think that there were others who were who were simply saying that putting it in the language of praise felt good and felt right. I think that we had a combination of different reactions to that. Well, I'm happy you brought up what you brought up in regards to, to um, Frederick Douglass, uh, American uh, Christianity, not the Christianity I practice. As it relates to the Negro spiritual, the, the, the tribal interaction and the fact that at that time, up until this point, right? Because back at, at that time, those who did not subscribe to what was considered the, the European missionaries, they began to uh, sing and perform slave seculars, which led into coon songs. Mm -hmm. And then following, you had those... Uh, I, I can't trace it past the Black Power Movement at this point, on the top of my head. But you had those who started saying... Well, the, the the European man, the white man, and his missionary gave, started giving us. So, so we our praise songs and who we're praying to comes from Europe. What, what's what's your thoughts on that? Well, I'll give you two reactions to that. There's a, a, a New Testament scholar named Musa Dube, and she is an incredible Botswana and. Um, scholar and academic. And when she was here in New York City and I was in a conversation with her with a group of people, um, she quoted that wonderful phrase that many people in Africa who stepped up to the plate and said they want their land back. They said, when the missionaries came, they gave us the Bible and took away our land. And now we want to keep the Bible and we want our land back. <laughs> <laughs> So and and I just had this conversation last night um, at a Bible study that I was doing when we were studying the book of Acts, I think it was verses chapter eight, verses 26 through 40. And, you know, everybody forgets that the Ethiopian eunuch actually went back rejoicing to Ethiopia that he had heard about this man named Jesus. So I think we give too much credit to missionaries, quote unquote, sort of missionizing Africans all the way, because there was a there was a history of of Christianity or being a Christ follower from the very first century. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so that so so that but the, the notion of the of the, but then of course you know there was the rise of of uh, the rise of Islam and several other things that were happening just like it happened all the way around the world. It's it wasn't the it wasn't Christianity that they brought. It was their interpretation of the text that they brought to people. Same thing with this Botswana um, professor. She found um, an original. Um, a missionary Bible from the early times of um, sort of missionizing Botswana, um, a couple of hundred years old. And what she realized, when I talk about this translation, this is really powerful. 
you know how many people we have ancestor veneration and we respect our ancestors and the and the African sensibility of spiritualities and community. Well, when the missionaries came to Botswana, every place in the New Testament where there where Jesus exercised and kicked out a demon, they changed the word to ancestor. So do you get what that does to a people? This savior is casting out ancestors and people. So so the so the gentleman so the man who had the legion of of demons and Mark 5 had a legion of ancestors inside of him. So ancestors became demonized. So it was that interpretation that was laid on the text. That's what messed that's what messes messes with this this notion actually. The whole notion that, you know, slaves are supposed to obey their master. Well, you know, there that's not the context of what Paul was talking about. So when people understand and say, well, this is how we're going to use this text to keep a people down, that's what the white European missionaries brought to us was an oppressive text that was meant to liberate. Mm. I, do, I just have to say I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, I, you know, I heard a young brother speak, and, and, I, I, and I've heard a lot of people say this. Uh, I would like your thoughts on this. Um, the, the, the Bible, the Apocrypha, are, are, are books of melanated people. It is the, the, the quote-unquote black person uh, history, history book in that when the Moors came to America prior to anyone else and they were bringing uh, Europeans and different people, they found a group of black people here with a Hebrew Hebrew Bible. What what is your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the ancient classic texts, even before Rome, right? Those ancient texts were housed in Alexandria, Egypt, in Africa. That's where the historic library was of all historic and classical texts. Including the Hebrew Bible, and including the version of the Hebrew Bible that was in the first century, which is called the Septuagint, which was translated into Greek, which is what the people in in Jesus' time—that's what they were reading in the first century. They were reading a Greek version of the Hebrew text. But this, remember that this library was in Africa. <laughs> so all of the classic texts were housed in Africa. We had access to all of this. I'm not surprised at all. So with that being said, with all, and I may have asked you this in a different way, but I have to ask you this. With all that being said, is it safe to say that the Negro spirituals is the, the I guess that's the culmination of African tradition and, and the experience and treatment on this land in America. Yes, yes, yes. And I think of the the spiritual, and I can't believe I haven't thought about this before, but I think of the spiritual as the pearl, the pearl and the oyster. And if this land is the oyster, um, you know, oysters create pearls because there's an irritation in there. A piece of sand gets into the middle of the oyster's flesh 
and it builds something around it that's hard. And, and when it comes out, it's this very beautiful pearl. And that's how pearls are made. And I think that our experience as Africans and African-Americans here in the United States created this incredible pearl called the spirituals. That's the imagery that I have about the spirituals. That even when you do something that is that is supposed to be um, that is that's supposed to be really really negative, and you're trying to sort of uh, displace the people and and declare that people aren't even a people, that they're property, that when you sort of when you sort of look at that, the agitation that that sort of comes out of that is what we did to protect ourselves is wrapped ourselves around wrapped ourselves with this casing. And the casing is the spiritual, and that's what we have now is this pearl. Mm. Now, now, do you see a, a parallel to the spirituals and the blues? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. The, the shift from the spirituals um, sort of has a historic progression um, with the end of slavery and then with the, the Jim Crow era coming about, um, they were sort of instituted in another form of lament, lament music. And um, then in the early 1900s, there were other forms of music that happened. And the hymns sort of changed and the religious music sort of changed. But this secular notion of talking about your own experience now, because if you think about the spirituals as describing the experience of being in slavery, the blues explain the, the experience of what it means to, to live in this community and to live in this society, but still be ostracized out of the society. But to find a way to claim your power and to claim what you're doing. And the blues can't, came up out of that. You know, the blues, you know, when you're talking about... Um, when you're talking about the things that you're losing or talking about the things that you're that you're holding on to or whoever's left you or you're talking about your own personal experience that still nobody really got. Nobody really got what black folk living was all about when the blues were coming up. Nobody went down to uh, to Tutwiler, Mississippi and sort of looked at how people were living and, and saw those uh, guitar players sort of jumping on the, on the back of those railroad trains trying to get to other places in Mississippi who were creating these strumming and doing these blues all along. They were telling stories and they were telling stories about the experience of people that they knew and they were telling their own experiences. And it became this great way to sort of um, establish the, the reality of your own existence and I'm very big on music and like the spirituals and the blues. And as things move forward, it's all about creating an identity for ourselves and defining that identity by ourselves and not having it defined for us. And we do it through music, the lyrics of the music. Amen. <laughs> A couple of more questions. This one right here, I, I would like you to explain because there, there are kind of two styles of Negro spirituals, right? There's the hooping, hollering that, that you find, uh, uh, I, I guess, to be stereotypical in the backwoods, but you could find that in Brooklyn or Harlem. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the more formal, almost opera style of Negro spirituals that seem to be uh, accepted 
amongst other communities and ethnicities. The aforementioned is as well. Why do you think there's there's two styles of this expression? Oh well, those those music actually, in order to make the the, the spiritual sort of legitimate in a that may not be the right word, but to give it some sort of to give it a a, a more responsible credence and culture, the music was written down so it wouldn't be lost. And when you, whenever you try and take something that people are doing in their own community naturally and try and write it down, you're going to lose something. And many people say that there was people were trying to acquiesce to the European notion of music, but even the harmonies that come forth in, in the music that was written down was very, very powerful. And of course, you know, it became a fundraiser for historically black colleges and universities. I mean, they those like fist the fist singers and so on and so forth. They would take these new new spirituals and take these formal take these arrangements of the spirituals and that they would take them around the country and do concerts so that they could raise money so the spirituals got this sort of um this national reputation and this national recognition because they were they were actually touring all throughout the united states to make money for the historically black colleges and universities there came a time and you, you touched on this earlier, where um, well-to-do or, or upper-middle-class or those fleeing from Jim Crow South wanted to leave everything behind, including the Black spirituals. Could, could, could you talk to us about that and then follow up with why it's important to, to preserve and keep hold to the Negro spiritual. Well, I, I will tell you that it's not it's not just a phenomenon of um, the, the the African and the Negro migration, the African American migration. Um, it's this it's the same for any group, any group in diaspora that moves to a new space in order to really re-identify itself. Sometimes it wants to put the pain behind it behind them, but other times it's just a matter of saying. Um, I'm in a new space now and I want something new and I want to be a little bit more aligned with where I'm calling myself to be. Um, and many, this happens in many communities of, of color. Um, for example, I, I work with the, uh, the Presbyterian denomination in the churches here in the United, in New York City. And one of the things that we found um, that is really shifting over the past couple of years and also an uh, African Caribbean French speaking congregation that a friend of mine pastors a Presbyterian church is that the older generation when they came to come here they want to do their stuff in their original language right but then the younger generation who is now more acclimated to the American lifestyle they don't want worship in the in their in their native tongue they want it in English and how many how many people have come from Poland and Germany and and everywhere and said, do not speak that language in this house. We are in America now. <laughs> so there's a there's a there's a, a very human notion to say, um, I'm in a new place, it's a new way, it's a new day. Um, why don't I embrace that? It's a very it's one of those things that sort of and it's also, if you remember, if you're echoing your pain. And you're and when you move north to move away from that pain, and you feel as if um, people are going to recognize that you were one of those people that were in pain, you're going to do whatever you can to shield yourself 
and your new world from all of that to be hidden and all of that to, because if you're looked at as being in pain or, or if you're looked at as saying you're still embracing this sort of understanding of our history, because we know what happens when we talk about, I mean, what's happening, what's happening now with this new lynching museum that's happening down in Alabama. People are already starting to complain about that and saying, why do you want to remember that? Why do you want to remember that in, in a museum type of way, um, the lynching that happened? It's important to remember because if we don't remember and we forget, it's bound to happen again. And the spirituals are important to keep alive because they're because of all the, the notions that I mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation. You can't explain it. It's what how it makes you feel. It's how it brings you from one space to the next. Uh, I think I told you my friend, um, who was a, is a Dr. Kim Harris, when she was at Union Theological Seminary, she always taught this course on the spirituals. And people from all around the world would come and do these spiritual classes. She would talk about the spirituals and then she would sing. And then they would sing in the classroom. And by the end of the year, Every person who was not an African-American, of course, plus African-Americans, they were moved beyond words and in a different spot in their lives and in their spirit and in their sensibility of being in touch with something, being in touch with something divine or of the cosmos. They were in touch with something because they were in that class and felt deep down the power of the spirituals. And the spirituals, as I said before, if you think that they're all about tragedy and suffering, then you don't know how to lament because you don't know that when you get in touch with all of that ugliness and all of that pain, then the next thing you do is you look up for a better way and a, to have a better way of understanding how life can be good. And it takes you out of victimization and it moves you to another space. If you had one thing, and this is the last question, if you had one thing, to 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 that you wanted everyone to to understand and really hold on to when it comes to Negro spirituals, what would that be? I would want people to hold on to the idea that the fields of slavery and that the motherland of Africa. Um, produced a people of death and spirituality and of a connection to the divine, number one. And number two, that, the, that as much as people would like to think that cotton came out of those fields and tobacco came out of those fields, that the great American gift that was given to them, that was given to us, is this pearl called the spirituals. And just like you would do with any valuable gift, cherish it. Hold on to it. Don't just put it in a box and say, I have, a, I have a strand of pearls. Take it out every now and then. Wear it proudly. Sing the songs in your car. Sing the songs by yourself. Go to the woods and sing out loud. And tell me then how you feel and if you're not changed. That's what I want people to understand about that. I, I, I dig it. <laughs> I dig it. And it also reminds me, uh, as you said, lament, there's many verses in the Bible that said, sing, 
songs of lament, but also sing sing hymns. Yeah, and Paul even said it. So what? And oh, please, one last thing I need you to clarify for the audience: Is there, and if there is, give us a description, a difference between hymns and Negro spirituals, because hymns is mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, that. The hymnody of the Bible is really a community song um, that everyone can sing. Uh, that's that kind of definition. When we think of hymns now, we think of the hymnal, and whatever we think that whatever is placed in a hymnal is a hymn, when in fact that's not the case. There's gospel music in hymns. Um, Kirk Franklin is in the African-American Heritage Hymnal, as, as well as spirituals, as well as praise music, as well as the, the, the European hymns, The Mighty Fortress is Our God. They're all contained within that, but they keep their specifications of what they are. The, the way that hymns are arranged and the way that hymns have their, have their structure to create community singing um, and to give that fullness of community singing, it's a completely different kind of composition and arrangement than people putting an arrangement and composition onto spirituals. So what I mean by that is that the spirituals come from the people, and then we try and figure out what it looks like on paper. Very often hymns are written on paper and then given to the people. And I did, But I did want to tell you, I was thinking about one of the things you sent in the email, um, since we're talking about spirituals, if, if, you, if I wanted to tell anybody to um, a video or a, a, an album to download, it would be um, Kathleen Battle and Jesse Norman. Because you had these two classical African-American um, opera singers doing a whole litany of spirituals with an orchestra behind them and a choir behind them. James Levine, the famous conductor here in New York City, is conducting this whole thing. And yet there is so much power that comes out of these spirituals when they're singing them because they experience, I mean, they both grew up down south. <laughs> so it comes out the DNA. Yep, yep. When you, hear Je when you hear Jesse Norman saying, I can tell the world about this, I can tell the world about that, I can tell the nations. And when she's stomping her foot and she's trying to get the orchestra to follow her and she is just going and Kathleen Battle, you know, when she's saying, little David, play on your harp, hallelujah. It's all there. It's all there. So that's a definitive recording that I would suggest for anyone. Um, and I found it late one night when I was, I, I woke up from tel from the, uh, a nap at night and the PBS station was on television and th that television show was on channel on the PBS station for a fundraiser. And I was in awe of that. And where could the people find you and your music and everything? Uh, actually, DerekMcQueen.com. And um, I sort of sing around all over the place. I sing at church on Sunday, so I do a lot of singing at spirituals. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, when when I'm called to, with a theater company called Eastland Theater Company, and they book shows, they book shows of me um, doing a one man Paul Robeson show, which is of course riddled with with these spirituals mm, as well. That's groovy. I got to check that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank, Rev, thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity. Jack Dapple Blues Public Media is a listener-supported platform. For more information on funding, underwriting, and sponsorship opportunities, please email Lamont Jack Curley at racefilmmusic.com 
or Denise Curley at racefilmmusic.com. All rights reserved to Jack Dapper Blues Heritage Preservation Foundation.